when we live in such a busy world, that's why it's so important sometimes to just stop for a moment at something like this and sing some well-known and less well-known carols and take a chance to reflect on what Christmas is really about. And so with your, if you don't mind, I'll like to just take the next few minutes to do just that. As uh, Patrick was saying earlier, we, we run a short series here on, uh, called Hymns We Love, where we look at the stories behind some of our most loved and well-known hymns, and through them also explore a bit about what the Christian faith is about. And as it's Christmas, and as this is a carol service, uh, I thought we could do something similar today. And as we said, we're going to have a little look at the story behind Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and what it says about the Christian faith. Now, if we um, still use good old-fashioned hymn books and you turn to the page with Hark the Herald Angels Sing on it, uh, it would say it was written by Charles Wesley, and that's true. But actually, the version which we sang a little bit of uh, just now and which we're going to sing uh, in full in a moment has been changed and adapted by a whole range of people over many, many years. It did, though, uh, begin life way back in 1739 when Charles Wesley first wrote what he called his hymn for Christmas Day. That started with the less-than-catchy line, Hark how all the welkin rings, glory to the King of Kings. Anybody know what a welkin is or what the welkin is? Shock me. It's the sky. It's an old English word for the sky, apparently. Um, Charles and his older brother, John Wesley, were the founders of the Methodist movement and the leaders of what's now known as the Great Awakening, which was a huge revival in, of Christianity in the 1700s in Britain. And while John did most of the preaching, it was Charles who wrote the songs that became the soundtrack to that movement. And... Uh, boy, did he write the songs. In total, he wrote about 7,500 hymns. So uh, with my maths brain, that's equivalent to three new hymns a week, every week, for 50 years. Week in, week out, not even taking Christmas off. But despite writing so many hymns, Charles was really fussy about anyone ever changing them. So he insisted that the Welkin rings were kept in. He also demanded that this hymn be set to a slow, solemn music to help us all really appreciate the true depth of God's amazing love shown at Christmas. Sadly for him, but very happily for us, neither of those wishes were fulfilled. Over the next few years, the words of the hymn were edited and developed by an endless stream of people, some very eminent and wise, and actually others decidedly less so, if we're honest. But it took another 120 years until a chap named William Cummings, who was a professor at the Royal Academy, noticed how well the now-updated version of Wesley's Carol could fit a cantata that had just been composed by Felix Mendelssohn. However, to make it fit perfectly, Cummings not only had to change the words a bit more, he also had to change Mendelssohn's music a bit. But when complete, he jammed the two together and was able to publish the version of the hymn, Heart the Herald Angels Sing, that we know and love today. 
But whilst the story of the writing of the hymn may be a bit messy, the story the carol points to certainly isn't. The true story of Christmas is not the story of God forming a committee to muddle their way through to solving our problems, but of God getting deeply and personally involved in our messy world in order to restore our relationship with him. It's the story of how God's love for you and for me led him to send his son Jesus on the most amazing rescue mission that started in a stable in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. And and at the heart of that Christmas story and at the center of this carol are two things that I'd like us to consider today. Comfort and hope. Comfort that Jesus is here with us now, right by our side this Christmas, longing to shower us with his love and support us with his presence. And secondly, hope. You see, as Patrick said earlier, the story of Jesus doesn't end with a baby in the manger because that baby grew up and went on to complete his rescue mission to save the world. And that offers us a real and certain bright hope for a better tomorrow. We only have to look around us this Christmas to know that comfort and hope are two things that will seem a million miles away from so many, many people in this world today. And they're therefore two things that all of us could really do with receiving. Christmas is often a time for reflection, a chance to look back on the year that's ending and to consider all that has happened during that time. And for some of us, this year will have been full of good and happy times. And we're now looking forward to a lovely Christmas with our family and friends, and a chance maybe to overindulge in food, drink and presents. But for others of us, this year may not have been so easy. We may be grieving for lost family or friends. We may be ill or lonely or struggling financially or emotionally. So understandably, as as we look towards Christmas, we may feel there is actually very little to celebrate and very little hope to look forward to. But whichever type of year we've had and whatever type of Christmas we're looking forward to, we can know that God will be right beside us as we go through it, sharing in our joys, but also sharing in our troubles. The true story of Christmas is that just over 2,000 years ago, a baby called Jesus was born in an outbuilding in a small Middle Eastern village, in a remote, unimportant outpost of the Roman Empire. But the Bible tells us that this tiny, fragile, helpless baby was also the image of the invisible God. And that all things, from the stars to the earth to you and me, were created through him and for him. And that all the fullness of God was contained within that tiny baby. As Wesley so beautifully puts it in his carol, God was pleased as man, with man to dwell, Jesus, 
He's our Emmanuel. And as we heard in the readings, Emmanuel means God with us. And that's the wonder of Christmas. We don't have a remote, distant God who doesn't know or care about our daily lives. We have a God who is right with us, who chose in love to lower himself, to experience the limitations of human form so that you and I can know that he understands us and that he meets us in whatever place we find ourselves this Christmas. Because the other thing about Jesus is that he didn't come as a prince or a VIP. The nativity story reminds us that he was born into dirt and poverty, wrapped in cloths and placed in an animal feeding trough. He went on to become a refugee. He grew up in an occupied nation where he would have experienced hunger and persecution. The path God chose for himself when he came to earth was to be poor, to struggle, to face hardship, fear, and loss. And that's why we can be confident that he understands when we struggle, when we are fearful or anxious, and when we grieve. He's not distant and above us at those times, but right beside us, holding our hands, feeling our pain, and comforting us in his love. But Jesus does even more than this, because the nativity is not the end of the story. The story of Christmas would have very little meaning if it did not go on to the story of Easter. Jesus not only offers to comfort us this Christmas, he offers us a real, tangible hope for the future. That baby in the manger grew up to become the man Jesus and through his life, death and resurrection gave us a real hope for the future, totally restoring our position with God, bringing forgiveness, reconciliation and an ongoing and deep-filled relationship. He has offered us a completely new, clean start. As Charles Wesley says in the carol, mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. If we choose to accept God's forgiveness, he will turn our lives around and we can live in new, totally restored relationship with God. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. The true, deep, real peace that Jesus offers to each of us this Christmas is the peace and reconciliation that is available between us and God. The peace on earth that we sing about is not primarily about peace between humankind. Of course, that's hugely important, and our headlines at this time are full of the suffering that conflict brings. But there never will be deep and lasting peace between humankind if there is not deep and lasting peace between each of us and God. And all we have to do to find this peace is to accept that gift that Jesus is offering each one of us. 
And so this Christmas, whatever kind of Christmas we are facing, whether it's one of fear and sorrow or one of joy and excitement or maybe something in the middle, can I encourage us to imagine opening two extra presents from under the tree? Gifts to each of us personally from Jesus, that baby in the manger, but also that man on the cross. The first gift is the gift of comfort, his presence right beside us in our joy and celebration or in our troubles and fears, sharing our happiness, but also sharing in our pain. And the second gift, the second present to our unwrap, is his promise of a hope for the future, an everlasting peace and joy, reconciled to him through what Jesus has done. My prayer for each one of us this Christmas is that we will unwrap these two presents, accept them for the free gift that they are, and through them find the comfort, joy, peace, and hope that they bring. And of course, that each one of us will have a genuinely happy Christmas.